Hello, everybody, and welcome to the December 7, 2020 edition of Peaceful Globalist Review. I am your host, the Peaceful Globalist, Ephraim Josine. And ladies and gentlemen, I saw this campaign on Twitter, and I absolutely had to talk about it. Uh, because I love things like this. I really do. I really love things like this. Um, now, the Young Americans Foundation, um, and for those who don't know, I'm typically not big on the Young Americans Foundation. Uh, it's essentially, in my opinion, nothing more than a Republican front group. And by the way, it's not like they're not open about it. Okay, I want to be clear. It's not like they aren't open about it. But like next year, they're going to make their president Scott Walker. Who, first off, is not a young American. Scott Walker is... 53, not exactly what I'd call young, but hey, I guess you can't really get a president of Young America's Foundation to be a young American. Um, also, Scott Walker? Really? Of everyone you could pick, this is completely off topic to the actual story, of anyone you could pick, Scott Walker? The guy who was governor of Wisconsin lost re-election, if I'm not mistaken, in 2018. Um, had a recall election because he was so unpopular and just barely won, then won, ran for president in 2016 and was like the second major candidate to drop out. Really? That's, that's your guy, Scott Walker, of all people? But enough about my dislike for the Young American Foundation. I would like to talk about this story because it's them doing something I actually do like. Uh, this was put on their Twitter today. Breaking, following the Burbank Unification School District's decision to ban several classic books, Young America's Foundation will provide Burbank students with copies of these banned books free of charge. In addition to putting these books at Burbank schools is attempting to, uh, in addition to putting the books Burbank schools are attempting to hide directly in the students' hands, Young America Foundation is calling on those students with the power to do the right thing, the board members of the Burbank Unit. Unified School District to immediately rescind their ban on these books. The banned works include To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee, Of Mice and Men by John Steinbeck, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain, The K by Theodore Taylor, and Roll of Thunder, Hear Me Cry by Millard Taylor. And again, the reason is typically like all those books have racial slurs of some kind or are racist by today's standards. To Kill a Mockingbird, though, was, is not a racist book. Uh, a lot of people don't seem to actually understand that. Like, the racists in the book are the bad guys. Okay? It's the same thing with Huckleberry Finn's side note. You know, a lot of people think, oh my god, this book is so racist. It has, like, it has so many uses of, of a racial slur. Well, wait a minute. First off, when the book was written, that was not considered a racial slur in any stretch of the imagination. You know, that's just what that group was called. It's screwed up, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to sit here and defend that. But no, there is a certain context where it is okay. Um, and that context is, you live in a time period where it's okay, and also you're writing a book that specifically condemns racism. Again, people forget that book explicitly condemned racism. Mark Twain 
was a massive progressive. Like he was this giant progressive. This was the man who said the Emancipation Proclamation freed white people along with black people because he felt that racism, and especially slavery, actually enslaved the minds of white people in the same way they literally enslaved black people. Now, I don't know if I fully agree with that argument. I think that's a little bit too metaphysical for my taste. But no, this was a man who was, like, a very stern anti-racist, founded the Anti-Imperialism League in the late 20th century. Or not late 20th century, late 19th century. Uh, specifically to oppose the Spanish-American War. Uh, I think it was the Spanish-American. Yeah, it was the Spanish-American War McKinley was doing at the time. Which, by the way, was a very controversial move at the time, especially among progressives. Like, this smear that Twain was a racist, I don't know where it started. Well, I do know where it started. It started with shallow-minded people who just read the book and said, oh, oh, okay. Oh, so, so this has some words in it we don't like. And by the way, I actually once saw an encyclopedia of politically banned books. And I've pointed this out before. If you actually look at the things that have been banned throughout history, they are absolutely... It's, it's ridiculous. One of my favorite examples, and this is not my favorite example, I'll tell you my favorite example in a minute. One of my favorite examples is when the John Birch Society really had power in the 1950s and 60s, one of the books they went after was Animal Farm by George Orwell, which they argued was pro-communist, despite the fact the book was really nothing more than a takedown of Stalinism. The book even started as a nonfiction look at Stalin's atrocities, uh, but the British censors told George Orwell, sorry, you can't criticize a communist dictator uh, because we're using him to fight for freedom and capitalism and all that great stuff in Germany at the moment. Whoops, sucks to be you. Um... My favorite example, though, is Apartheid South Africa banned a book called Black Beauty. Now, they did this because of the title, obviously. They thought it was pro-black. The Black Beauty, the book is named after, is a horse. <laughs> I love that story. It's one of my favorite. And then there's this weird stuff like in Malaysia. I think it's Malaysia. Might be a different. It, it's one of the Middle Eastern countries. I'm going to say Malaysia. Um, the film version of Fifty Shades of Grey is banned. The book, however, is not. <laughs> somehow, somehow. But no, censorship is absolutely ridiculous, in my opinion, uh, for a variety of reasons. And then here are some more. Uh, students from Burbank, USD, and their parents can request YAF's Academic Freedom, a novel idea package via yaf.org slash banned books. Uh, Burbank's USD next board meeting is slated on December 17th. Concerned citizens may contact the school district to share their thoughts on this development by calling the district at 818-729-4400 or by emailing board members via this page and they have a link to the page. Um, I'm also going to read out the page just to let you guys know what 
And by the way, I am in full support of this initiative. Because in truth, censorship is utter nonsense in general. There is always, like, a very absurd nature to it. In truth, because you're going to have to draw a very arbitrary line to really determine what is and isn't censorable. Now, that was the excuse from the Supreme Court. Just, I know what obscene, hardcore pornography is when I see it. Okay, well, I guess that works in day-to-day -day life, but if you're the top legal body, no. We need a very specific line. Where do things cross that line? And truth be told, I'm of the mind that we have to allow maybe not literally everything. I'm sure you can come up with one or two things we shouldn't allow, but we should always err on the side of no censorship. Okay, we should. That's how I view things. Um, but here is what the page says, Academic Freedom, a Novel Idea. Burbank's Unified School District recently decided to remove the classic books To Kill a Mockingbird, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, Of Mice and Men, The K and Roll of Thunder, Hear Me Cry, from their curriculum after a few parents alleged that these books encourage racism. Yeah, of, of course, that's the excuse, by the way. And these are from people who've probably never read the book, side note. Like, Of Mice and Men, not really about racism in any meaningful way. Yeah, there's a black guy in it who they call the N-word a few times. But, like, the people doing that, to my memory, were, like, the assholes, okay? They were the mean people. They were the ones who you should not sit down and think, I, I'm going to act like this guy. You know, if, you're, if your kid is going to say, I'm going to act like George from Of Mice and Men, you did something wrong. And by the way, do you think these parents ever actually read the book? There was a study. I forget where it was done. But it was after a book burning, a good old-fashioned book burning. Um... And one of the things that, and essentially a guy just walked up to them and started asking them basic questions about the books they were burning. They had no idea. They had no idea. They didn't know what they were burning. They hadn't read the book. I remember um, junior year of high school, we read Catcher in the Rye, and that was actually one way we talked about uh, censorship and the like. And the teacher actually showed us a letter where a student's parent had gone through and highlighted all the offending sections of Catcher in the Rye. like, I don't want my kid reading it because of these parts. And if you actually, like, read the context around them, it looks like he just controlled F and, like, typed in prostitute or something along those lines before and then just highlighted that sentence without considering any form of context Again, because that is how people like this think. You know, they have these giant mental blocks in their mind where there can't be any nuance, there can't be any substance, there can't be anything. If it shows it, it promotes it. That's their way of thinking. If it shows it, it promotes it. Um, back in the 70s, when parents groups had a lot of power on television, especially in the realm of animation, and this was on television animation, by the way. 
They're not like the theater stuff where we had like Ralph Bochke running around. Ralph Bochke was a really cool dude, but that's a different topic. Uh, they instituted rules like the complainer always had to be wrong, and then later on, they actually tried to remove conflict from cartoons. And this resulted in various, various things. Uh, most famously, or most infamously, a really atrocious um, Tom and Jerry reboot, where they didn't fight at all. They didn't talk either, though, so this wasn't like the movie. Um, that was just, in general, really, really boring. And Mr. Enter did a good job talking about that during his 70s marathon on animation. Okay, let, let's read a little bit more. The District's Diversity, Equality, and Inclusive Inclusion Committee created a subcommittee to reevaluate the books and on November 13th, 2020, voted to remove all five books, four of which were required reading, from the district's curriculum. The censorship should not go unchallenged. Students should have access to these important literary works and wrestle with the ideas they contain. Freedom of speech and freedom of expression are fundamental, are foundational American principles, and Young America's Foundation rejects attempts to censor material deemed politically incorrect and is committed to ensuring that middle and high school students in Burbank Unified School District have access to books that encourage intellectual diversity and critical thinking. And then they give you a page where you can fill it out. Uh, there's also, would you, I would like to receive a copy of 11 Principles of a Reagan Conservative by Paul Kangor. I would not recommend sending a copy of that book unless it's to make fun of it. In which case you can add it if you want. Up to you, though. Up to you, though. And then, how did you hear about the Academic Freedom and Novel Idea Campaign? And you can tell them you heard about it from Peaceful Globalist Review. With your host, the Peaceful Globalist, Ephraim Jocene. <laughs> Assuming you take advantage of this. Which you should, by the way. Even if you already own copies of the book, take advantage of this. Just to spite authority figures. I'm going to be blunt with you. People like this who actively try and censor material, you should act in ways that spite them. Okay? You should act in ways that specifically exist to spite them. Because they don't have any legitimacy in this regard. You know, it used to be the case where we would sit down and seriously discuss whether or not authority was legitimate. Okay, that was a very big topic for philosophy for thousands of years. But the authorities realized, and they realized this quickly all the time, all throughout history, that the best way to completely just neuter any chance that they will be critiqued is just to make sure nobody can even think that thought. That's what Orwell wrote about in 1984. And that's why I think it was Aristotle was said he either had to renounce his beliefs or drink poison, and he chose to drink poison. The reason being is, first off, the people don't actually know what they're censoring in any meaningful sense, but also they don't like the idea that you can think critically. They don't like the idea that you can sit there and question authority. And people like that, you should act as spitefully toward as humanly possible. They should not be respected. They should not be considered legitimate authority. They shouldn't be. They should be mocked 
and spited and everything in between. Okay, so yeah, sign up for this campaign if you're in this area, and I'm in full support of this. And I'm happy someone's getting the word out there. I hope there are more campaigns like this across the country. I'm being dead serious when I say this. Because if ideas scare you, then you are almost certainly not actually scared about anything those ideas would come from. But you're scared about the end results of them because they don't work out well for you. Anyway, here's a story from the AP that came out Saturday. ER visits long waits climb for kids in mental health crisis. And when children and teens are overwhelmed with anxiety, depression, or thoughts of self-harm, they often wait days in emergency rooms because there aren't enough psychiatric beds. The problem has only grown worse during the pandemic. Reports from parents and professionals suggest with schools closed, routine disrupted, and parents anxious over lost income or uncertain futures, Children are shouldering new burdens many are unequipped to bear, and with surging numbers of hospitalized COVID-19 patients, bed space is even scarcer. By early fall, many Massachusetts ERs were seeing about four times more children and teens in psychiatric crisis weekly than usual, says Ralph Bunopain, a mental health program director at the Franciscan Hospital for Children in Boston. Um, now, I want to open by noting that I decided to highlight this story because, in my opinion, it shows an actual widespread problem within society today. And that is this idea that therapy is just this, like, magic healing bullet that immediately gets rid of all of your problems, no matter what. Well, no. No, that's not the case. And what happens when we as a society pretend that's the case? Well, the system gets overwhelmed. And it only takes a small instability for that to just break through, for people to no longer think they can get the help they need, because... This one exact group came out of it. And I'm not insulting therapists for saying, because I don't think they're the ones saying this side note. Um, I'm insulting kind of this general attitude I've seen around society that says that actually, no, don't you worry. Don't you worry. Therapy is going to solve literally all of your problems forever, no matter what. Well, no, there are bad therapists. There are people who aren't responsive to it. I, no, 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 it's going to solve all your problems. In fact, we can't have you take any medication anymore. I've actually seen that claim before, uh, because just having a conversation with someone is going to be what completely solves everything. Well, wait a minute, and I'm not saying therapy can't help people, but isn't that, like, very reductionist, very one-size-fits-all, very nonsensical, in fact? And what happens when we as a society start thinking that? Well, the answer is, general people start thinking, well, there's no chance in helping my child anyway. Might as well just not even try, and hey, if it gets too bad, I'll send them off to somebody else. Well, yeah, but that's not actually going to solve the problem at hand. Okay? That's not. All that is really going to do is make it so you're less involved with your child's mental state. 
which is, by the way, typically one of the reasons why people have these anxiety attacks or these depression spurts that cause them to go to therapy in the first place. I should also note. And I, I should note, there are a lot of therapists who even agree with what I'm saying here. There are, and they are people who I do genuinely praise. Um, but the fact is, it mentions isolation as one of the causes of these attacks. These panic attacks, or these anxiety attacks, or something along those lines. Well, if you're actually having genuine breakdowns because of isolation, the fact is, first off, your social support network was probably very unstable to begin with. Um, especially in this day and age where everyone's, like, connecting through their phones and the like. But also, having a conversation with a professional once a week is not going to solve that. You know, you're going to turn into Bill Murray's character from the movie What About Bob? Like, that's the kind of person you'd be. In actuality, a better method would be finding a support network of some kind, people who are on your level, and then just talking with them and having them support you and you help support them and all that great stuff. Um, the fact is, just having a conversation with someone once a week, that's not going to solve everything. That's not. It's just not. And I imagine a lot of these attacks could be prevented if these people weren't first told that actually the only thing that's going to save you is a therapist. You know, if they could just take a minute to calm down and recognize their problem and think of a rational solution to it, especially in the internet era. You know, people always talk about the breakdown of communities on the internet era. There are more communities now than there ever has been. And you can have friends in all these different kinds of communities. And you're not going to be friends with every single person in these communities. I'm not going to pretend otherwise. You know, if you're really into, I don't know, Mega Man and you join a Mega Man Discord, you're not going to become best friends with every single person in that Discord, but you'll probably become really good friends with at least one or two of them if you put effort into trying to do that. But no, instead, first we tell them that you have to hear that advice from a guy sitting on a couch uh, telling you, hey, it sounds like you need to get some friends. Uh, like, really, I feel like this is the end result of this kind of treating therapists as if they're divine men um, who can solve everything. No, they can't. I'm sorry, they can't. And if you are already recognizing your problems, for that matter, then it would actually probably... Now, mind you, I'm not saying that therapy can't help you in any situation. I'm not going to pretend that's the case, because that's not the case. There are situations where it can help you. But if you're already recognizing the problem... Maybe you should consider taking some steps to solve it first, and then if those don't work, go to a therapist, maybe see what's going on in your head, see what it is that's causing these failures. Because that's the thing, ideally a therapist should be telling you things you don't already know. 
And that's really the big issue with a lot of how society treats it. Like, you go in there, and you say, Oh, well, my problem is, um, I can't listen well enough. That's a very minute example, but you get what I mean. Well, you just said your problem! Have you made any attempts at solving it? No, but I want to know why I can't. Well, why don't you try solving it first, and then maybe the mutual failures in your attempts to solve it will reveal why you can't. And we can go from there. And mind you, I'm very much generalizing. In my case, these are just a combination of therapists I've talked to and people who I've known who've tried therapy and it just didn't work for them for whatever reason. Um, and such other things. But I have seen this attitude in society that says, no, actually, they're the only people who can help you. Well, wait a minute, why is that? Well, because they have a degree? Well, that is important. They probably do have a better understanding of the exact terms that would be applicable to this situation than I do. I'm not going to pretend otherwise. But shouldn't you at least make some attempt to solve the issue yourself beforehand? I think that's at the very least worth considering, if anything. Um, you know, I, am I just going crazy here? I'm really curious. Am I just going crazy here? Because I've seen this attitude and this always bothered me. And, hey, this is the end result. What do you know? A bunch of kids are having mental health crises. And mind you, if they mean kids and like little kids, obviously I don't expect them to figure this all out on their own. Although their parents could probably tell them, hey, if you're isolated, why not, I don't know, find some way to talk to your friends online? Why not? I guess it probably wouldn't be best for them to like join Reddit or something, but why not find a community of people with your interests and such and build on that? Instead of this kind of, no, no, we have to take him to a psychologist. Uh, so they can tell him exactly what we suspected it was, but using certain Latin words that we didn't know at the time. That'll be $300 a session. Like, really? Really? Am I the only one who's kind of see, sees that as a little bit of a bad system? That, that has to strike somebody else out there as a bad system. I mean, am I the only one? Really? Apparently, because this was paraded all around social media as evidence we need to end the lockdowns and not as evidence that we need to stop treating therapists as literal gods among men. So, hey, you know what? Maybe I'm just a crazy one. Maybe a therapist could help me out on that, in fact. Who knows? Anyway, folks... It's the third segment of the show. Now, normally, the third segment is where I read a column of some kind. And I like doing that. It keeps my head fresh. Well, when I was planning out, I was looking for column three. Obi-Wan Kenobi himself appeared and told me, Ephraim, go to the Daily Stormer right now. <laughs> uh, so that's what I did. And... Of course you know what side Andrew Anglin of the Daily Stormer is on. If you don't know what the Daily Stormer is, it's named after Dor Stormer, the official newspaper of Nazi Germany. 
and is run by an open neo-Nazi named Andrew Anglin, uh, who is not just a neo-Nazi, although he doesn't call himself a neo-Nazi. In fact, he hates neo-Nazis because they're too nice to women. I'm not making that up. And he calls himself, like, I think just a white supremacist or something. Um, but of course he's on the MAGA side, obviously. Despite the fact he has the massive cognitive dissidence of thinking Trump is controlled by the Jews and also loving Donald Trump and loving everything he does. Well, here's an article he wrote yesterday. The next step of the plan is the MAGA step. And of course, Andrew Anglin has been melting down all year. Okay? In January, after the Weinstein verdict, he got so many of, even his own neo-Nazi fan base was mad at him because he didn't agree with the verdict. Um, now, mind you, they agreed with the verdict because Weinstein was a Jew, but that's a different topic entirely. And, like, he's just been in a downward spiral ever since. And it, it's, it would be sad if the person weren't Andrew Anglin. And, like, mind you, and the Daily Stormer never, like, wrote professional articles. But, like, you can certainly tell a change in tone from how they wrote a couple of years ago when they were just, yeah, they were saying racial slurs a bunch. There was always this, like, kind of jokey feel to it, as opposed to now where Andrew Anglin is running back and forth between being so euphoric he's jumping up and down and running up the walls to being so sad he's crying in the corner. This is one of the jumping up and down articles, for the record. And it starts the tweet from American Now. Sorry about that. Apparently my, my camera went off. Um, it, it wasn't like I continued recording before I noticed. I noticed immediately, so I didn't lose anything. No, that sucks. Um, so, back to the article, this is Andrew Anglin jumping up and down, excited, saying that uh, Trump owns the future. Again, even though he's written tons of articles about how Kushner controls the administration and how Trump's a shill for Israel and all that. But that doesn't matter, obviously. And he starts with a tweet from American Nationalist, a.k.a. at Nationalist TV, who has blocked me, by the way. Just want you guys to know that. And it just says, massive turnout in, Han in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, for Nicholas Fuentes, who is the white nationalist, who has also blocked me, by the way, because I called him a stupid shock jock, because that's what he is. And he's a funny shock jock, don't get me wrong. But no, he's a shock jock at the end of the day. And <laughs> here is his commentary. People call me every day and say to me, so angled. What's the next major step in this step-by-step -step plan you keep telling us to trust? First off, I doubt that people actually call Andrew Anglin. Although, you know what? The very least, this man is in good humor about it. Because his next paragraph, and every time they call me, my answer is the same. Shut up, stop calling me, I'm trying to fix my vape, and I can't do that with your stupid voice in my brain. Beautiful words. I can now reveal the next step in my plan. The MAGA step. And it shows Nick Fuentes. 
that is that is not a healthy walk stand. Like that is you're a gust of wind away from doing the splits the level walk stand. Which is actually like really bad if you're in a suit, by the way, which Fuentes is. I think that's Fuentes. Um But it, like, that could realistically cause you to rip your suit pants. Although, wouldn't that be really funny? Wouldn't that be really funny if we were at these protests and, like, Fuentes was out there with his megaphone screaming, We need to stop this! And he's, like, walking as far apart as his legs on, like, his pants just rip open. That would be really funny, in my opinion. Most notably because it would show Nick Fuentes as a buffoon, which he is. The step after this is for Jake Lloyd to burn every piece of clothing he owns, go paleo, and learn the MAGA step. Did Jake Lloyd fear that he would have to disappear into the woods of Harrisburg after Saturday's rally? Why is he wearing a camouflage jacket? Oh, oh, Jake Floyd's the guy. Okay, or Jake Lloyd, sorry. I may have said Jake Floyd. Not the Jake Lloyd, to my knowledge, who played Anakin Skywalker in The Phantom Menace, but it is very funny to pretend to get them confused. I just want you all to know that. And yeah, yeah, Jake Lloyd is there in a camo jacket. Why? I, I actually agree with Anglin on that. Why is he in a camo jacket? And also a solid blue shirt and some jeans. And then it shows the Virgin Lloyd Shuffle versus the Chad Maga Step. Well, what kind of shoes is Fuentes wearing? Are those clogs? What the? I have never seen, like, normal shoes that were that shade of light brown. I'm sorry, I haven't. What, is that, like, a thing where Fuentes lives? The guy next to him is wearing the same shade. Not Lloyd, like some old guy. What's going on here? Is this like a thing I didn't know about? No, when I see that, I like think clogs or like really, really like high, not not like high heels, like really thick heeled shoes. You know what I'm talking about? Overall, the Harrisburg Stop the Steel rally was fantastic. It was the best yet. This pathetic den clip sums up the energy, or part, or panther den, sorry. And then, I guess that's like the show Steve Bannon hosts or something. Uh, and by the way, didn't Trump kick Steve Bannon out of the administration like three and a half years ago? Why the hell is he still there? Nick gave the speech, then he marched, then he gave another speech, and then they show uh, Nick's first speech. And some clips from his second speech, yeah, I'm... I'm not watching all of that. I can't do both Nick Fuentes and Andrew Angle at the time at the same time. I'm sorry, I I just can't. Uh, these speeches just kept getting better. This man is unstoppable. Martin Machine, Patrick Casey, Scott Greer, and Baked Alaska also appeared. I, I that is a sentence somebody just said. Okay, so, are you gonna get past all your embedded tweets? I'm sure Jake Lloyd's speech was fine, too. Um, it's over, Anakin. But I was distracted trying to focus my eyes on him while he was speaking. He kept blending into the environment. 
You know what, Jake Lloyd? You were, your outfit was so stupid, it actually caused me to agree with Andrew Anglin. I hope you're ashamed of yourself. Uh, most importantly, Steel Puma, no idea who that is, was there to protect the rally, but I can't find the clips. And then in brackets, I still do not have my planned Bitchu Rally Archive channel set up, because I mean, come on, man! I can't do everything. Somebody needs to help me with this shit. The best videos are in the replay section of the DLive channel of the Ralph Retort. Wasn't the Ralph Retort also the same guy who was like, beat up a guy, assaulted him or something? Uh, as one does, by the way. Yeah, yeah, the Ralph Retort is a little bit weird. Nick Fuentes, Baked Alaska, and Steel Puma. I should also note, Nick Fuentes is one of those guys who has like, a series of one-day friendships. You ever notice that? I mean, he was friends with, I think it was Jack Polsadek. For a bit in 2016. Uh, then that stopped. He lost his show on Right Side because he's crazy. He held a podcast with his fellow white nationalist, James Alsa. Now they hate each other. They spent an entire Ralph Retort stream just screaming at each other. Um, he was friends with Richard Spencer for, like, a hot minute, and then that broke off, and now Richard Spencer thinks he's a degenerate because he hangs around Catboys. Yay, Catboys, to be exact. Seriously, look that up if you don't believe me, and you know what, Mr. Fuentes? I'm not gonna judge you for that. And seriously, I'm not. I, I am, I'm above that. If you want to go see the whole event, go rummage around there. I'm going to find someone this week to help me with the archive. I'm literally going to pay them because on a right-wing internet, that is your only possibility of ever getting anything done. It is frankly ridiculous. It is frankly ridiculous that someone is not already going through the DLive channels, downloading the videos, and uploading them to BitChu. What is wrong with you people? I, I have to say, I completely appreciate Andrew Anglin's understanding that his audience sucks. Uh, what is wrong with you people? Can you imagine this literally falls to me to personally go and download and upload these videos so that a record exists? Listen, listen. You should not give anything to Andrew Anglin. Let alone attack. You shouldn't give him much in general. You should visit his website with your ad blocker on, though, and laugh. As I do. I think people think I'm joking. Andrew, I've been operating under the assumption that you're 110% serious for the past, like, three years. That's why you're so funny. When I say the worst part of these rallies is that the breaches of the dress code. I'm not joking. I have a couple other criticisms, which I wouldn't say so publicly, as this. But the biggest issue is that the speakers are showing up looking like they're going to a tailgate party? What the heck? I've never heard that term, and I feel like I'm going to feel embarrassed for not knowing that term. Uh, let's see. A tailgate party is a social event held around the open tailgate of a vehicle. Okay. Oh, so it's like a garage sale. Okay, I was thinking it was like some upper class thing. Okay. Um, and randomly my phone went off. As happens sometimes. Probably, this says the rallies are overall fantastic, and there isn't much to criticize, but it's not a joke. 
Clothes are a big deal. It's the basic decision you make as to how you present yourself to the world. Subliminally, sub subliminally people register this as very important. Oh no, Andrew, give us your commentary. If you show up looking like you're on the way to a parking lot to drink Bud Light and blast Nickelback, to be fair, that is how I stereotype most Trump supporters. Uh, you do not give people the impression that you care about what you're doing. And before people want someone they can connect to who looks like them, no, they don't. Really, Andrew? Oh, pe people like uh, living in areas with people who don't look like them, huh? Is that what you're telling me, Andrew Anglin? Really? Really, that's that's an interesting thing for Andrew Anglin to say, I, I must say. People want political leaders to look like they're in charge. They want them to be people they can look up to because they are better. A political leader is not viewed as a buddy. He is viewed as a tribal chief. That's how the brain registers it. If someone looks like they're a guy you meet at a backyard BBQ, they do not register as a leader. I have no problem with Vince James or Jake Lloyd. I, I do at least know who Vince James is. I try not to, though. And I like them. What a great endorsement. I want both those people to have in their Twitter header. I like them. Andrew Anglin. <laughs> but this isn't a small issue, and they need to be made examples of. Oh, now I'm, now I'm getting a little worried. Both of these adult men wore camouflage jackets to Nick's rallies. Yeah, unlike the very serious-looking Nick Fuentes, who looked like he was trying to do the split with every single step. That's the picture you gave me of Fuentes, Anglin. I don't know if that's how he just walks or anything like that. Um, that's what it looked like, and that's the only thing I can get in my head, and yeah, I can't take Fuentes seriously. I don't take Fuentes seriously in general, but this is not the only reason why. Uh, if they don't know what they should wear, they could read one of my fashion guides. Andrew Anglin has fashion guides. Yes, I will be reading them on a 200th episode, by the way, for those curious. Uh, I, Andrew Anglin's Guide to Fashion. You think Andrew Anglin could start his own men's fashion magazine? I think he should. I would buy it, okay? I would, I would. I'd look for all the new tips to look like the best white nationalist. I, <laughs> I love this man. I'm sorry. I absolutely love this man. I shouldn't love him. I hate that I love him, but I do. Or they could ask someone who is dressed like a normal adult for advice. Because when I think of what people normally wear, I, th I think of like a really fancy suit. To go rally in Pennsylvania. Casey and Greer were both dressed like adult men. Baked is the court jester, so his thing is irrelevant. Again, hate to agree with Anglin, but he has a point. The gathered crowd doesn't have to look great. I'm not even talking about that. It's the people who are there to speak and thus present themselves as leaders. You need to be very concerned about how they present themselves. Frankly, however, most of the crowd does look good. 
I personally take 100% credit for being the first person ever to get a group of Americans to dress like normal people. But wait, aren't they already dressing like normal people, though? Like, normal is just how most people dress, so by default, most people are dressing normally. Um, but still, that that's besides the point. Again, I run under the assumption that everything Anglin says is serious, so I can really laugh at things like that. Here's what you need to understand. The majority of normal Americans are 100% ready to get on board with 99% of our agenda. Can I have your math for that? So the challenge then is simply presenting the agenda in a way they are able to get on board with. We've talked about opt the optics thing forever. As I recently explained, optics is the... Okay, yeah. I got that very right when I was shaping the alt-right online. Great point, Andrew. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! He actually said that! He actually said that. Is Anglin even still, like, a big player in the alt-right blogosphere? Like, when you think of popular white nationalists, like, obviously you think Nick Fuentes. Scott Greer, I'd say, is in that category. Uh, John Doyle is up and coming. In fact, Anglin's even endorsed Doyle in the past. But really not Anglin himself. Um, but, okay. Then people took the movement that me and others, mostly anonymous internet people, created and tried to pump and dump it with, with fat guy neo-Nazism in the offline world. <laughs> Why are all these neo-Nazis so fat? This was a very short-lived thing, as it lasted only one afternoon in Virginia. Wouldn't really call the people in Charlottesville fat. Call them ugly, though. This was years of work that I put in basically totally squandered by anti-social attention whores who are probably all feds. My entire shit got totally flipped upside down. An adult wrote that as I was undermined by the fattest. It was a giant sucking sound around Charlottesville when all of the energy disappeared and what was once rebellious young people having fun and posting Pepe memes was transformed into this. And then it shows, like, a nerdy-looking guy and two fat guys. One old guy with a pretty cool beard, truth be told. Obviously, that's not going to happen again. I didn't understand what was happening until it happened. In fact, I didn't really understand it for some significant time after it had happened. I bring this up simply to highlight just how important these impressions are. Those of you who were around back then remember, we had so very much energy before Charlottesville, and then it was just all gone in an instant. It could really be- is this article ever going to actually end? Like, let me see how much we have left. Oh my god, we have like another third left. I'll read a little more. Just a little more. Uh, it could really all be summed up by noting that we were denounced by PewDiePie, who'd previously been engaged with us even after he lost a $3 million Disney contract. He didn't issue a serious disavow. He issued a serious disavow when it turned out the face of it was engaging with 
with was not this. And then it shows, um, is that Speed Racer as Pepe? That's Speed Racer as Pepe. Wow. Speed Racer as Pepe. I did not realize that was a thing. And you know what? That's what I'm going to end with. So I am Ephraim, and good night.